Thank you for that, Kobe. And I, I appreciate you guys so much. Uh, we're blessed to have you and, and the rest of the team that leads us in worship. Uh, good morning to everybody. Good to, uh, good to see you. Um, as, as many of you know, the governor made some, some changes to stage two, and we're going to discuss that at the end of the service, so especially if you're watching at home. Those of you that are here don't have any choice but to stay and listen to me. Um, but for those of you that are home, please don't turn the TV off immediately when the sermon's done, because um, we, we do need to address a few things in, in reference to that. So uh, I just want to give you a heads up. Um, this morning, we're going we're gonna to pretty much just dive right in because we have a lot of ground to cover. Um, and I want to tell you from the beginning today that we're going to read a lot of Scripture. Um, and you've probably noticed that I've been doing that more and more recently. And I want you to understand that that's not just fluff and filler. I'm not doing that because I need to, to fill a time allotment. I'm doing that because as I study and the Lord brings these passages to me, He is speaking through that. And we all know, because you know me, that we're going to learn a lot more from Scripture than from anything that I have to say. And so as we read these passages, some of them today are long, I want you to, to make a concerted effort to focus in to whether you're using a paper Bible or an app on your phone, to get it out and to look at the words. Or you can look at the screen, but, but invest your heart and your mind in what the Lord is trying to speak. Because I'm not just, we're not just reading this for the sake of, of noise, right? The Lord wants to speak to us through that. I wanted to start this morning with a quote that may be um, somewhat familiar to you. Um, the quote is, "'Tis impossible to be sure of anything but death and taxes.'" Okay. That's from The Cobbler of Preston by Christopher Bullock. Most people know it because Benjamin Franklin quoted him um, at the end of the writing of the Declaration of Independence. Now, we're not going to talk about taxes today, but we're going to talk a lot about death, okay? And the reason I bring that quote out is because we all are very aware that death is coming for each of us. And I know that that's a very dark place to start, but it's where chapter 7 starts today. Um, we're we're going we're gonna to look at this today, and if you studied, if you looked at it, Prior to this morning, you will see that there is not just a change in the tone of the text, but in the format of the text as well as we move into chapter 7. Um, but as we, as we begin thinking about this, we need to talk about something. Um, and it may be something that you've thought about before, or it may not be something that has come to mind. Um, some of you have probably realized, like I have as we've gotten older, um, that things are not always what they seem. And let me explain that a little bit. When we are children, if you think about um, what we were taught in regards to how we do life with one another, things were very black and white, right? Very cut and dry. Uh, a, an example that one of the commentaries I read uh, this week was this idea um, of truth, that we are taught, don't lie, tell the truth, right? Pretty straightforward. But is it? And this is not a discussion on the difference between relative or subjective truth. That's not what we're going with that today. What we're going to look at is that things are just not simple. Okay? And I want you to see this in Scripture. Um, look at James chapter 2, verse 25 with me. We're going to read this and then we're going to jump into Joshua to, to look at what James is talking about. But it says, In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route? Do you remember the story of Rahab? It's when uh, Joshua sends in the spies into the town of Jericho. Let's look at it together and, and let me kind of take apart what I'm trying to say. Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two men as spies from the Acacia Grove saying, Go and scout the land, especially Jericho. So they left and they came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, Look, 
Some of the Israelite men have come in here tonight to investigate the land. Then the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab and said, Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, for they came to investigate the entire land. But the women had taken the two men and hidden them. So she said, Yes, the men did come to me, but I do not know where they came from. At nightfall, when the city gate was about to close, the men went out, and I don't know where they were going. Chased after them quickly, and you can catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them among the stalks of flax that she had arranged on the roof. The men pursued them along the road to the fords of the Jordan, and as soon as they left to pursue them, the city gate was shut. So James is referring to the story, and he's saying that the prostitute Rahab was justified by her actions. And what were her actions? She lied, right? But wait a minute. Scripture is very clear that we shouldn't lie. And so why is James saying that she's justified by lying? Why is Scripture condoning that action? That can't be right, can it? We were told growing up, and we've continued to teach our children, that it's good to tell the truth. And it is. No one's denying that, okay? But what we learn as we grow older is that things are not as simple as a black and white yes or no answer, which is what we desire. You see this played out in sitcoms a lot of times. Let me set up the scene for you. Uh, a wife is getting ready to go on an event. She's tried on a lot of different outfits. Her unsuspecting, uh, bashful husband is sitting there, and she goes, Honey, does this make me look fat? I don't know if you've been there before, but there's no right answer to that question, right? Because if it does, you certainly do not want to say that. It's not cut and dry. It's not simple. What we want in life is for life to be easy, right? That's the goal. That's the thing that, we, that we're working towards. We've talked a lot about the American dream and kind of the idea behind the American dream is that we work really hard, we gain up a lot of stuff so that life is easier, do you ever wake up in the morning and go, man, I hope today is really complicated? <laughs> of course not. Of course you don't. I, I'll share a quick example of my life from this week. As you guys know, we're having someone add on to the house. Bethany called me, I think it was Tuesday at noon, and said, come home now. And I said, what's the matter? She said, there's water in the house. Well, if, you may not remember, but our house flooded in th at Thanksgiving, and we put new floors in the entire thing, and the house is flooded again, right? That is complicated. Okay, thankfully, because we've been studying the book of Ecclesiastes, I was able to say, it's hevel, you know, it's temporary, it's going to be okay. It didn't make it easier, but it gave us some hope, okay? The reason I bring all this up today is because when people look at wisdom literature, they struggle with it. Because what we want is we want things that are cut and dry, they're easy. Things that say, do this and don't do this, because it takes the burden of obedience off of us. But when life gets complicated and there's no clear, quick, easy answer, we go, nah, I'm not really interested in doing any of that. And so today as we look at our text, what we're going to see is some very, um, very complicated sayings, some things that are not easy to talk about. Death is not something that we, we ponder often. And so today as we look at our text, my challenge for you, my challenge for myself that the Lord has given us is that we don't just... Let this come in one ear and out the other because typically in my sermons, I like for there to be some very clear application, like things that you can walk out of the sanctuary today, you can work on through this week and make application to your life. This is not going to be one of those sermons because the text doesn't lend itself to that. 
So I want to ask you this week, take some time out of your week. We're going to look at the first six verses in chapter 7. I want you to spend some time this week, read it every day, and let the Lord work these ideas into your heart. Okay, so let's dive in. We're going to read verses 1 through 6, and then we'll start breaking it down a little bit. It says this, A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, since that is the end of all mankind, and the living should take it to heart. Grief is better than laughter, for when a face is sad, a heart may be glad. The heart of the wise is in a house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in a house of pleasure. It is better to listen to rebuke from a wise person than to listen to the songs of fools. For like the crackling of burning thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of a fool. This too is futile. All right, already this is confusing, right? It doesn't make any sense. Death is better than birth. Sorrow is better than gladness. We look at the first line of this opening stanza, and it's pretty easy. A good name is better than fine perfume. We can, we can digest that, right? It, it, it's saying that character, the character that we exhibit is more important than wealth. We've talked a lot about wealth. Okay, well, I can get on board with that. It's pretty straightforward. The preacher here is making these comparative statements. But after the first one, we don't really know what to do with that, right? It's not the kind of language that we use on a regular basis. What's obvious is that the preacher wants us to think about and ponder death in order to live in a way that creates change in our lives. So the first point that I want to make today is that we need to live with death in mind. We need to live with death in mind. Okay, now keep in mind that we just talked about our desire for easy and then the discussion that we had last week about keeping things in the right perspective. This verse, um, verse 1 in our, our text today, points back to chapter 4, verses 2, in which the, the preacher makes a similar statement. He says, So I commend the dead who have already died more than the living who are still alive. The preacher is telling us that it's better to be dead than to be alive. And why would he say that? We have to ask that question. If that's what he's saying, why is he saying that? He believes what we say we also believe. We believe that because of what Christ has done for us, if we have accepted that, that when we leave life here on this earth, we are going someone far better, right? We're going to a place where sorrow, where suffering do not exist. The pain and the suffering that we experience here on earth does not exist in heaven. And because of that promise, we hold on to and we can have hope in our death. So when I say we need to live with death in mind, what I'm saying is we need to understand, we need to have the proper perspective. That what happens on this earth, yes, it is important, but it is not our end. Many have described death as, as the beginning, really, of life. Life that matters, life that is eternal. Living with the end in mind helps us to live for eternal things. We live here on this earth. God put us here. This life has meaning. It's important. But it's not the end. If you've lost a loved one before, you know how transformative that process is in your life. It's devastating to lose a loved one, but it changes the way that we look at life. And I think that's the point that the preacher is trying to make today. 
that when we consider death, it makes our priorities shift and things that seemed important before no longer are. Those things that we placed in high priority in our life, when we lose someone that's close to us, all of a sudden we realize that that thing that was in high priority really is not that significant when we look at things from an eternal perspective. In verse 1, he's saying that death is better than birth because death has a lasting impact on the way that we live. Look, nobody loves a baby being born more than me. I promise you. If you have a baby and it ain't COVID, I'm coming. All right? I want to hold that baby. I love it. But I'll be honest. And think about when your own children were birthed. It changed your life in some ways, but not nearly to the, (laughs) amen, back there in the back, but not nearly in the way that death does. Because death makes us look at things differently. He follows up this thought in verse 2. He says, it's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, since that is the end of all mankind, and the living should take that to heart. To be in the house of mourning means that death is the object of our reflections. If our goal is wisdom, if that's what we want to gain in life, this is the one, of the, one of the ways in which we gain it. We consider the life of the person that's passed away and we allow that to stir our thoughts and to make changes in our hearts. We, we look at that person's life and we say, this aspect of it, man, I want to be that. I look at the grand total of a person's life and I see the way their life was defined and we say, that is a part of who I want to be. We strive to live as that person lived. Look at with me at Psalms 90 and I'll tell you as you're flipping to that, um, this week when I was studying, I've probably told you guys this before, but my house is loud, right? And so I put on noise canceling headphones and I, and I pull up a, a playlist on YouTube, typically, of, of worship music. And so it just kind of is playing in the background. Well, a, a, a video popped up by Shane and Shane, and it was, this, it was this chapter. The song is called Psalm 90. It's new. I immediately sent it to Kobe because it was so incredible. And, and Kobe texted me right back and said, man, I've been waiting for them to release the tabs for that so that we can, we can do it in church. I was like, man, that's great. Okay, so that's, that's cool. Kobe and I had a little moment. But then as I continue to read on, my commentary specifically references Psalm 90. And I was like, okay, God, you have my attention. So I want us to read this today, and I want you to consider what the psalmist is saying. And I also want to point out, this is before verse 1, so if you're looking in a, in a, 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 a hard Bible, a paper Bible, you know, it's got the little subheadings. It says, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. And I just want to point out, that the psalmist is reflecting on the life and the wisdom of Moses, okay? I just want to make that point, that he's reflecting back. So read this with me. This is, this is a prayer of the psalmist. He says, Lord, you have been our refuge in every generation. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God. You returned mankind to the dust, saying, Return, descendants of Adam. For in your sight a thousand years are like yesterday and passes by like a few hours of the night. You end their lives, they sleep. They are like grass that grows in the morning. In the morning it sprouts up and grows, and by evening it withers and dries up. For we are consumed by your anger. We are terrified by your wrath. 
You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all the days ebb away under your wrath, and we end our years like a sigh. Our lives last 70 years if we are strong 80 years. Even the best of them are struggle and sorrow. Indeed, they pass quickly and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger? Your wrath matches the fear that is due you. Teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. Lord, how long? Turn and have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your faithful love so that we may shout with joy and be glad all our days. Make us rejoice for as many days as you have humbled us for as many years as we have seen adversity. Let your work be seen by your servants and your splendor by their children. Let the favor of the Lord be on us. Establish for us the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. Do you see the perspective that he has? He is looking at his life not from from here I am on this earth, but he's taking a step back and he's saying, God, look at my life as a whole. Teach me to count, to number the days. That's verse 12. Give me an eternal perspective so that I can see this life in a way that you see it. The psalmist is considering his own mortality in order to have a proper perspective on his life. And when we allow ourselves to think about death, though it's difficult, it brings us to a place where we can really understand what it means to live. The second point I wanted to make today is that we need to receive wisdom as you grieve. We've discussed previously that wisdom is gained by many experiences over the course of a lifetime. And we have a unique opportunity when someone that passes away, when someone that's older than we are, that has more life experiences than we have, that's walked with the Lord longer than we have, we have a unique opportunity to examine the total of their life. To make a summation and say, what was most important to this person and what can I learn from their wisdom? If you have people in your life that are like that, that are still alive, spend as much time as you can. Glean the wisdom that they have gathered if they've already passed. Think back on the things that they've taught you. Think about the things that they said were the most important. God puts those people in our lives to share the wisdom that they have gained with us. This week, the the guys that are working on my house, I've known them my whole life. Um, The dad's name is Dennis, and his oldest son, Kyle, um, is a year younger than I am, and we were best friends in high school. I spent a lot of time at their house. Kyle's the one that taught me to play guitar, and we have this, this really deep, rich relationship. Now, as we become adults, our lives are in completely different places he um, does ministry in another church. He and his wife both, incredible men and women of God. And so our lives are just not conducive to us spending a lot of time together. But this week when I found out that Mr. Dennis's father had passed away, my mind immediately went to Kyle. It's what we do, right? It's what we're, we're kind of trained to think about. I went yesterday, I, I was telling Bethany, my intent originally was just to go to the visitation, just to stop in and do, you know, due diligence and say, man, love you, praying for you, and those kind of things, and then, and then be on about my day, because Saturdays are typically pretty busy for me. But as I'm reading this text, 
and I'm thinking about the things that the preacher is saying. I told Bethany, I can't just skip the funeral, right? I can't stand before you guys and say the things that the Lord has for me to say and not participate in this man's funeral. And so I went. But I went with a purpose. I went with a purpose that I haven't had before. During the visitation, I asked my friend, I said, um, what is the wisest thing that your grandfather ever taught you? And I said, you don't have to answer right now if you need to think about it. And he cut me off. He said, consistency. He didn't have to think about it. He knew. And his stepmom was standing there. She said, oh, yeah, you know, Mr. John, he always did the same thing every day at the same time. And Kyle said, no, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. He said, I'm talking about church. Now, I didn't know this, but they talked about it during the service. But Mr. John had been a member of the same church for 50 years, had been married for 59 years. What Kyle was talking about, and I know this because I know Kyle, Kyle's not talking about the fact that he was there regularly. What Kyle was talking about is that he saw role modeled in his grandfather's life a man who loved the Lord and loved people, which is what we've talked about all the time. It's the greatest commandment. This man loved the Lord and was committed to God, his relationship with him, but also committed to his community. 50 years in one place. I can't even fathom what that's like. But Kyle, now when he reads those scriptures, when he reads the greatest commandment, he has wisdom and insight that we don't always have. You see, he's learned something. He's looked at his grandfather's life and said, what was his greatest accomplishment? And I'll be honest with you, if at the end of my life, my grandchildren say the greatest thing they knew about me is that I love the Lord and love people, what else is there? To me, there's nothing greater than that. When we sang about that today, Kobe just talked about it. All we have is Christ. And so at the end of my life, at the end of your life, what people say is what the most important thing that they learn, the wisest thing, is to love God. Man, we've had a home run. But if we don't consider death, if we don't take time to ponder those things, we're never going to gain that wisdom. We're going to let it pass by us. At the end of verse 2, the preacher says that living, the living should take all of this to heart. Listen, if you have the opportunity to go to a party or a funeral, he's saying take the funeral every day. Now that's not how our brains are wired to think. You don't wake up in the morning going, man, is there a funeral I can go to today? That's not your Friday evening plans. But I'm saying maybe it needs to be. One of my commentaries said this. It says, we need to allow the interruption of a funeral to enrich our lives and ironically enhance life's blessings. Now listen, I don't mean to brag, but I've been to a lot of funerals, okay? It kind of comes with the job. Been in ministry a long time. I can tell you this, this though. At most of them, I came away from the funeral with a better perspective on my life than I had when I walked in the door. Think about that. The same is probably true for you. In the last year or so, I was blessed by going to the funeral for, for both Talitha's mom and Glenn's dad. Now, I didn't know either one of them in life, right? But I know these two and I love them dearly. And I can tell you by the testimony of the men and women at those two funerals, I can tell you the caliber of people that they were. And I can tell you that it, it enriched my life 
to just be at their funeral. I don't even know them being alive. If you follow Talitha uh, or Mandy on Facebook, you're going to often see what they call Totsiisms, right? Is that, am I saying the right thing? These little nuggets of wisdom that they are remembering about their mother and that they're passing on to you and I. Look, that's, that's, what, that's what the preacher's pointing to. He's saying, look, it's, it's not fun to think about death. It's not fun to think about the summation of a person's life, but it's necessary When we go to funerals, our goal should not be to distract those that are grieving from their loss. But rather, we should seek words of wisdom. That's the point. Look with me at verses 3 through 4. It says, grief is better than laughter. For when, we, when our face is sad, a heart may be glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in a house of pleasure. Listen, ask those that are grieving what they've learned about their loved ones. Ask them the wisdom that they've passed on. It's going to benefit you, of course, but I think more importantly for the person that's sharing that with you, the person that's just lost something, it's going to do something for them too. When we say things out loud, it concretes them in our brain. And so by, when we go to a funeral, by not just making small talk, by asking difficult questions, by saying, what was the best thing about your grandparent or your, or your mother or your father or your brother or sister? When we ask those questions, it's benefiting us, but it's also benefiting that person. It brings joy into sorrow because they remember how amazing that person was. And their wisdom then lives on. It doesn't die with them. Sharing wisdom allows the grieving process to be more than just sorrowful. It brings joy. Now listen, if you haven't asked yourself all this already, we need, to, we need to talk about why we made this sudden jump from the topic of death to wisdom. I don't know if you picked up on that, but we started with death and we transitioned into wisdom. Death reminds us of how temporary life is, Right? That's why we go from death to wisdom. Our goal and the preacher's goal is to gain God's perspective on this broken world. And understanding and taking to heart that we're only here for a short while should change how we live. Because when we consider death, when we ponder it, it makes us move into a realm of wisdom. Why is it important that we gain that? But God's perspective is wise And if we walk through life with Him, we can learn from it. God purposely puts people in our lives with more experience than we have with the expressed purpose of sharing wisdom. A person that says, look, I I have been through more in life than you have. Not that it's a competition, but I have more experiences. So let me share with you what I've learned as I've walked through those things with the Lord. So point number three today is we need to put ourselves under the guidance of someone wise. Look with me at verse five through six. He says, it is better to listen to rebuke from a wise person than to listen to the song of fools. For like the crackling of burning thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of a fool. This too is futile. Listen, life is too short to live like a fool. I had a, uh, high, a teacher in high school, and one of her favorite words was fool. She even had it, it like was permanently written on a chalkboard, don't be a fool, okay? 
And she was real good at reminding us on a regular basis when we were acting a fool. Okay, and what that simply means is to live unwisely. And you can imagine as a bunch of high school students, you were one once, we did a lot of very unwise things. It's the nature of being young because you don't know any better yet. It's a fact that there are going to be people in our lives who know more and are smarter than we are. Listen, it doesn't matter how smart you think you are or how wise you think you are. There is always going to be someone in your life who knows a little bit more, who has more experiences. And it is imperative that we lean into those people. That we look at those people who have more experiences than us. Those people who have wisdom. And we allow them to speak truth into our lives. It's critical that we find someone in our life that loves us enough to tell us the truth. That says, hey, you're being a fool. Let me help you with that. More than likely, God's placed someone in your life already that he intends to fulfill that role. But the question is, are you allowing that person to do that? I want you to think about that during this week. Who is your mentor? Who is the person that God's put in your life to speak truth into it, whether it's easy to hear or not? Because often when we're acting foolish, we know it, and we don't want somebody to point it out. But we need that. Proverbs 13.1 says this, A wise son responds to his father's discipline, but a mocker doesn't listen to rebuke. My hope is, is that you already have a person in your life that you are allowing to mentor you, that you're allowing to speak truth into your life so that when you begin acting in an unwise way, that they can help you with that, that they can call that out. I cannot tell you um, how many times Glenn has quoted 2 Timothy Uh, chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, but we're going to read it again today. I want you to look at this, okay? For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing truth and will turn aside to myths. Now I understand that this passage specifically is talking about doctrine, right? But the same is true for us in the realm of truth and wisdom. There are others in our lives, there are people who would rather to continue to live foolishly than to have someone speak truth in their life. And when they want to live that way, what they're going to do is, let me just role play this for you. If you're living in a foolish way and you want to continue in that, rather than giving voice to your mentor, to the wise people, you're going to gather around you People who will replicate the things that you want to hear. They won't say what you need to hear. They'll say what you want to hear. And those are two vastly different things. That's exactly what the preacher is talking about in verse 6. He says, For the crackling of burning thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of a fool. This too is futile. I want to, I want to break that down for you. I don't know how much experience you guys have with building fires. Um, I will tell you there was a huge disappointment in my life. I never got to be a Boy Scout, okay? So just know that I was let down by that, okay? But I grew up in Grant Parish, so I learned how to make fires anyway, okay? And when you're making a fire, the first thing that you want to do if you don't have a blowtorch, if you're doing a fire like the real way, is you, you get some kindling that's very combustible very quickly. 
Okay? And along with that, before you light that, you gather up other tinder, other little small things that will burn ever so quickly. But the goal is to get to the log, right? I don't know if you've ever tried to light just a log on fire by itself. It won't work. So you start with something that's small and combustible, and it builds. You add more and more bigger things to it until you can get to the log. And then the log will burn hot. It'll burn a long time. And it's good for warmth and for cooking. What the, what the preacher is saying here is that the words of a fool, he's talking about thorns because that's what they had there. A thorn would burn very quickly and make a lot of noise, but produce almost no heat. If you've ever been camping and you took some pine cones and you tossed them on the fire, you can hear the crackling. It's really fun to listen to and it makes pretty sparks, but it really doesn't do much in way of heat. And that's what he's describing here. He's describing a person who is just making noise, but they don't really do anything. The question that this text is asking of us is where do we find ourselves in this? Who are we surrounding ourselves with? Are we surrounding ourselves with people that are like hardwood, that are, that are going to burn hot and for a long time, that have purpose? Are we, are we have the people in our lives that can speak truth into our hearts? Or have we just surrounded ourselves with people who say the things that we want to hear, that allow us to continue to live the way we want to live instead of being spurred on to something greater? We need to think about that. All of us need a mentor in our lives. I don't care how old you are. If there's not someone mentoring in your life, you're missing an opportunity to grow in wisdom. One of the first steps in our journey to gaining wisdom is allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts, to soften it so that we can receive those words. Listen, I want you to understand if there's a, if there's a lack of wisdom in your life, it's not a brain power issue. Do you hear me? If there's a lack of wisdom in your life, it's not because your brain doesn't work. It's because your heart's not right. I want you to, to look with me today. We're going to close with a passage from 1 Kings. And I wanted to bring this up today because I want you to see the heart behind the passage. Now, we, we talked about briefly at the beginning of this study that it's not, we're not 100% sure who wrote this. Some people believe it's Solomon. And that would make sense in a lot of ways. But regardless, we know from Scripture that Solomon is attributed to be the wisest king that's ever lived. And so if we're talking about wisdom, if that's who wrote this book and he's talking about wisdom, the obvious question is, is well, how did he get it? Right? Let's look at this. 1 Kings chapter 3. And I want you to see three things out of this passage. There's a lot there, but I want to point out three things today. And I'm going to tell you in advance because I want you to listen for them. Okay? First thing is that he loved and was faithful to God and to his people. The second thing, he knew that his God-given task was going to require much more knowledge and wisdom than he currently possessed. And number three, his request of God was for the benefit of others, not of himself. And that revealed the true nature of his heart. Look at this conversation that happens between God and Solomon. And we're going to start in verse 1 just for some context, okay? We'll read through verse 12. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, by marrying Pharaoh's daughter. And Solomon brought her to the city of David until, it was fin until he finished building his palace, the Lord's temple, and the walls surrounding Jerusalem. 
However, the people were sacrificing on high places because until that time, a temple for the Lord's name had not been built. And Solomon loved the Lord by walking in the statutes of his father David, but he also sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there because it was the most famous high place, and he offered a thousand burnt offerings on the altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night, and God asked, ask, what should I give you? So God asked Solomon, what do you want? And listen to his response. Solomon replied, replied you, have shown great, uh, you have shown great and faithful love to your servant, my father David, because he walked before you in faithfulness, righteousness, and integrity. You have continued this great and faithful love for him by giving him a son to sit on his throne as it is today. Lord my God, you have now made your servant king in my father David's place. Yet I am just a youth with no experience in leadership. Your servant is among your people you have chosen, a people too many to be counted or numbered. So give your servant a receptive heart to judge the people and to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? Now it pleased the Lord that Solomon had requested this. So God said to him, Because you have requested this and did not ask for long life or riches for yourself or death for your enemies, but you asked discernment for yourself to administer justice, I will therefore do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and understanding heart so that there was, has never been anyone like you before and never will be again. God gave Solomon because he wasn't self-seeking. He gave him wisdom. Because Solomon looked around him and he knew two things. One, that the task that God had given him was far greater than anything he could accomplish on his own. And I appreciate Toby's testimony to that effect this morning. But number two, he knew that he didn't have within him the wisdom that it was going to take to accomplish God's purpose. And so he went, when God asked him, what do you want? He said, God, give me wisdom. He revealed his heart. And because he revealed his heart, his heart was for the Lord and for the people. God answered that call. He gave him what he asked for. Listen, God um, has made a way for all of us to gain wisdom. We've talked a lot about that today. And I want you to be thinking about this week, about the people in your life that have lived before you, the wisdom that they share. I want you to think about the people that God has in your life right now that He's put you in leadership under. Or excuse me, and He's put them in leadership over you. And I want you to ask God, are you submitting to their leadership the way He's called you to? In order for us to, to gain wisdom, it requires that we put away our childish selfish ways that we allow the Lord the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts to soften them and to to give them the desires that he has it's going to require that we experience difficult things but we must allow God to lead us into those difficult times so that he can do that work in our lives because at the end of the day what all of us want is to know God that's why we're here we want to know God and that begins by asking the Holy Spirit to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And that's to change our hearts. Let's pray together. Father, I ask that 
that this would not be a message that's just in one ear and out the other. Lord, I ask that you would, would show us the areas in our life where, where we're not submitting to the authority that you've placed over us. God, that if we don't have a mentor, if one doesn't immediately come to mind, God, I ask that you would reveal to us the, the, the man or the woman that you have in our life that has the God-given responsibility doing that for us. God, change our hearts. Help us to not be so selfish and so childish that we would run away from that wisdom. God, let us see the areas of our lives where we are just gathering around people who will say the things that we want to hear. God, if our goal is to know you, to be your people, and to share your love in a broken world, what we need more than anything is your heart and your wisdom. Father, I ask that you would you would change us in such a way, God, that you would break down the walls in our hearts so that we could release ourselves to you. So that we could, we could get to a place in our lives where what's most important is not what we want, not our reputation and not our pride. But Father, what's most important is simply knowing you. God, we are abundantly aware that that only happens through the work of your Holy Spirit. And that's what we're asking for. Father, reveal yourself to us this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.